0: we will take a shot downfield and it is held in by Bryce Bulba. What a one-handed catch.
1: remember that for your highlight show tonight. back to the corner for Carrington, intercepted. Colorado got it,
2: Witherspoon with the biggest play in
0: Colorado football for years. This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado's Some trickery. Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Punter to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Roof out. Locked it on to the end zone, Cut. Touchdown Shea Fields! Off the right hand side, ball is fumbled, picked up by Kenneth Bode! And he runs it in from the six. Touchdown! Touchdown Colorado! The defense comes up big again!
1: Welcome into to a new Buff Stampede Radio. at am Munster Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com. Here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, how you doing? Pretty good. Heading to Vegas tonight, so that's always a good vacation. I'm excited to go watch some hoops. Yeah, we'll get into that, uh, your upcoming trip to Vegas, the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament. At the end of the show, like we do, we kind of transition midway through or about three-fourths of the way sometimes. So we'll get into that later. It's been two weeks since our spring ball primer show. And uh, eight practices since then. A lot of football has taken place on those practice fields. I guess let's just uh, start out with our general observations of the offense. Well, what about what about our observations of the defense? Let's get into that side of the ball. All joking aside, obviously we're having fun here because... The Buffaloes have closed up all of their spring practices. I don't think I remember a previous spring ball being 100% shut down. Last year was close, but they still had a couple open practices to kind of feed your spring football jonesing, you know. Uh, I was frustrated. It makes my job a lot harder. I think, Tyler, you might have even been more frustrated than me that these practices are closed.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if I'm more frustrated than you, but I'm definitely really frustrated. It makes, I mean, obviously, especially your job, but, You know, my job in quotation marks as well, you know, um, more difficult as well. People rely on us, especially you, again, obviously, to provide accurate information about this football program. It's part of what you do for a living. It's hard to do that if you can't watch any of the kids play at any point. So for us, it's just a pain. I mean, obviously, we we both love football. All the people who follow us love football, that kind of stuff. So that's a part of it as well. And you want to just get out there and see practice. I think it's a fun part of what we get to do. But yeah. just just the whole having to guess about what you're seeing and what's truthful coming out of the coach's mouths and the players' mouths. And just there's nothing better than being able to see with your own eyes and trust your own eyes to evaluate players. And you know, it just makes this whole process tough for us.
1: Yeah, I was telling someone recently that my favorite part of my job used to be that I, I get to watch football. Now it's transcribing quotes is kind of, yeah. <laughs> is is my life. Uh, and, I, and I totally get closing it up midway through the preseason practices. Oh, yeah. Closing it up through the season. In, in honesty, in all honesty, spring ball, what are we, we're, we're going to have 90% positive reports out there. It's going to feed excitement, yeah. especially coming off the 10 win season. You're not really hammering kids in the springtime. It's, it's more you're looking for the positives and you're right. reporting on that.
0: Yeah. It's a developmental stage. You get to see a lot of new faces, especially this year. I mean, with, I think, 12 new guys on campus that we haven't gotten to watch play yet. So, yeah, it's just a real bummer. I mean, it's a fun part of the year where there's not really, you know, there's no real expectations. You know, like, you're going to see guys struggle. There's a lot of newcomers in the program. You don't need to be ready for fall football. Obviously, closing it during the year makes sense. Um, You know, you have game plans, that type of situation. Plus, we get to watch them every week. It's, you know what I mean? Like, you get to still see them with your own eyes and make your own evaluations. That's still a part of the process. Not having to, to be able to watch these kids at all for a good... At, at this point, it's going to be, I mean, from January through August, that's a big portion of the year that you just have to guess about what this program's been up to.
1: Yeah, and I could even see just, like, open up the last 30 minutes or just basically some little crumb that I can take back to my mouse hole and nibble on because I'm getting right. nothing right now, Tyler. Well, that's enough complaining. I'm sure people actually want to hear us talk about uh, some of the topics we can talk about because, you know, fortunately CU does have a great interview policy. We can talk to any assistant coach. We've got a great interview with Shadon Brown, new defensive backs coach on this show. So we were able to talk to these coaches, talk to the different players, and yeah, you you feel them out. You say, you know, who's impressing you? And so we have an idea of some guys that have uh, stepped up this spring, some of the spring experiments. We're going to get into all of that. But first we should probably talk about Kyle Evans and his unfortunate injury. He underwent surgery at uch in aurora on monday expected to be hospitalized until thursday his parents came to town this was an injury that was suffered during last saturday's full spring scrimmage a hip injury and it just it's it's tough to know how long this is going to be in terms of a recovery you see on one one end it can ruin careers on the other end you could be back in a couple months a couple three three four months
0: yeah hip injuries are complicated i guess for lack of a better term there's a lot of different ways you can heal that up. It depends a lot on how severe the damage was, as well. Um, you know, it's one, especially for a running back. I would think it'd be a little more concerning because obviously it's your, it's part of what you do. I mean, you have to be shifty, especially for someone the size of Kyle Evans. So um, he needs to get back to 100%, or it's obviously going you know, to affect his ability to, to help this team. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, to see a kid go from being a walk-on to be a valuable contributor on this team to go through that. I will just have to see. How long it takes him to get back? I mean, he does have a good amount of time before fall camp, so that's, I guess, a small positive in the situation.
1: Credit to Kyle Evans that this is a, a big topic on our show because just a year ago at this time, uh, you wouldn't be talking about a walk-on at that time, running back being this valuable piece as you mentioned that he is. Um, he was obviously the backup to Philip Lindsay. And uh, they kind of went away from him. They basically rode Philip Lindsay uh, late in the season. But when he was out there, he was effective last year as a running back. Uh, So now there's this uncertainty around his recovery timetable. What what do you think this means uh, for CU's depth at tailback? And uh, we did get a question. uh, Instead of putting it in our mailbag, I'll put it here from Ben Hoff. He wanted to know if Kyle Evans isn't available for the start of the season, who is the backup? So I I asked a couple questions there. What do you think this means to the depth, and then who do you think would most likely be the backup if he's not ready to go for for fall?
0: Well, it's obviously not great for the depth. Um, We didn't have a whole lot of depth to begin with, the two backups behind them. uh, It sounds like Bishrath's going to end up staying at running back. There are some thoughts that he might move to linebacker, so I think that's probably solidified at this point he's going to stay. Donovan Lee has been practicing at cornerback as well. And if he is out for the season, I would imagine he'll probably end up back at running back as well, just because of the numbers game situation. Um we'll have to see how that plays out. Maybe if um one of the incoming guys is more ready to go than we think or they move someone else back over there. We'll have to uh figure out how that plays out. But I think most likely you're gonna see those two kind of they're gonna stick on offense this yeah. year.
1: The fact that Donovan Lee was still practicing at cornerback on Monday signifies the coaches have not hit the panic button, which tells me okay, they must be seeing something from Michael Atkins. Is he actually showing up uh, every day consistently, or they like the development of Bo Bichette, or it could possibly also be also that they like incoming freshman uh, Alex Fontenot. Um, probably a combination of some of those, because otherwise yeah. I think you would have moved Donovan Lee back to running back right away. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, you know, you you don't know about Fontenot yet, obviously, and. Until Adkins goes down. I mean, you can always bring Donovan Lee back to offense. You know, like he doesn't need to be reminded how to play running back. He's been doing it his whole life. So um, he can come back into that role if need be. Uh, So you might as well see if you can get him ready to play corner. I mean, if he doesn't have to play running back and he can provide you cornerback depth, then yeah, of course, keep practicing him there.
1: The quarterbacks apparently are are showing well through eight spring practices. We kind of expected that. We expected Steve Montez to be quite a bit better this spring than he was a year ago because of that experience. Um, certainly Tyler Lytle is swimming, but yeah. you saw some some of that arm talent, especially with that throw, uh, long touchdown pass in last Saturday's scrimmage where he's rolling to his left and turns his body and, and throws a strike downfield. Um, and the guy that I always say we don't talk enough about is Sam Noyer, a guy that's a consistent passer. Maybe the best in terms of accuracy on the roster in terms of those quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, I think based on what we've heard so far, you're not going to have to worry about Tyler Little playing snaps this year, um, which is a good thing in my eyes. It means that not only does he get time to get comfortable with the offense and get a little bit bigger, you know, you, you don't really want to play as your freshman. I mean, more more times than not, that's not great for your program, um, and it also means that Neuer uh, is kind of taking the reins of that backup role. Looks really comfortable there, and then also obviously that Montez looks pretty ready to go. It doesn't seem to be a whole lot of quarterback controversy this year in terms of who's going to be starting, at least so far. Yeah,
1: and you even hear the coaches bring up Casey Marksbury from time to time Mm -hmm. as a guy that, you know, I think when you have three scholarship quarterbacks, and only three, you really do need to have a walk-on that you can trust, and I think they have that with Casey Marksbury.
0: Yeah, they they do bring him up a lot. They seem to have a lot of confidence in him uh, in a pinch, so that's uh, obviously great for your program as well, just to have a guy who can come in and help you if necessary.
1: And that's a better situation than had they brought in uh, a junior college guy or a graduate transfer to fill that depth because then I, I think uh, Tyler Lytle and a Sam Noyer have a little bit more spring in their step when they go out to the practice fields knowing that they are you know could potentially be the back of quarterback
0: yeah the quarter the Juco quarterback stretch hasn't really worked out for us no. all that well either so I'm kind of glad to have gone away from that little trend it just it just hasn't seemed to work and Nick um, Nelson, as as Brent again. Burnett, yeah.
1: Jordan Gerkey. Gerke. Am I forgetting just, any? Yeah, it has never I'm not sure we have
0: somewhere along the way. But yeah, it's just no one's ever really stepped up and like, oh, okay, this guy can come in and play for us.
1: There's uh, some spring experiments going on. Brett Tons
0: at offensive
1: guard. Of course, he was previously a defensive lineman. George Frazier splitting time between defensive line and uh, offense, you know, being fullback slash tight end. He had done that actually earlier in his career, too. Mm. And then we mentioned Donovan Lee, a cornerback. Which of those experiments do you like the most?
0: Um, I guess Frazier because he did have a little bit of success early on in his career on the defensive line as well. It just has a depth piece. Um, he's an athletic guy who struggled a lot last year on the offensive side of the ball, so I think they're just trying to get him on the field in some way. Um, so I guess that one I think has the most the most likely. I mean, Brett Tons is going to be a depth piece at best on no matter which side of the ball he ends up at, at at least this upcoming year. So that one, I mean, long-term could be interesting maybe, but this year you're not going to see a whole lot of benefits from it.
1: I do have a story coming on, Brett Tons, on the site on Wednesday, and he kind of talks about his mindset of this being a permanent move, even though I think the coaches are still experimenting there. At least that's his mindset practicing there right now. Actually, I'm not predicting him to be a starter, but I have heard the coaches talk enough about him fitting well into that role that it wouldn't be the biggest shocker in the world, but I probably, yeah, you're probably right, more of a depth piece there. KB and Ento and Lee Walker at wide receiver are both showing up. We had discussions about, okay, who's been over-recruited on this roster? Walker more so than Ento when we had that discussion, but still, those were a couple guys. Had they not come out this spring, they were going to get uh, buried on the depth chart pretty quick, and it sounds like that is not going to happen because they are making a lot of plays out there.
0: Yeah, I hope they find. Um, a few packages to get him in on because I, I mean, I don't think any of us were saying they weren't good players. It's just a matter of the level of talent that we have at that position. I did see a picture of Lee Walker uh, in one of the galleries that we had up to D- He's jacked now. When did that happen? Looks <laughs> like he's gained like 30 pounds. He's way bigger than he used to be. I mean, I know they like Lee Walker, they may call him Lee Blocker. Um, they like him in run support, so I'm sure he'll get out there a little bit for that in key situations. But yeah, I mean, Ento's a guy who helped, helped the team last year. Probably had. 10 catches or so.
1: Yeah. He uh, had two touchdown grabs in last Saturday's scrimmage. And then with Walker, the guy that's really talking him up is Steven Montez. And that's the guy that would get you the ball. So, yeah, you certainly want to hear that if you're a receiver. Just the depth at receiver. Again, we've talked about it before. This is going to be A good problem to have. Darren Ciaverini is going to have to get really creative to keep all those guys' morale up this season. He really is. And I I think you're going to have to see a rotation unless there's a bunch of injuries there.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised, honestly, to see Montez talk him up. I think Walker could definitely be the fastest wide receiver on the team. So he's going to be the guy to run under some of those cannons that Montez can throw out there for sure.
1: And Juwan Winfrey, although he's not been cleared to be a full participant, he's been at practice running around. Uh, Again, seems like everything's ahead of schedule there, so uh crazy depth there at receiver one position that really doesn't have any established depth following the graduation of Sean Irwin is tight end I did an interview with Chris Bounds I know that's your guy Tyler uh he does need to put on 10 pounds though to be able to uh try to fill in those shoes of Sean Irwin from a blocking standpoint
0: yeah he's definitely got to get bigger um still a younger guy though I mean Keeney I think has been getting bigger throughout his years here too so expect him to Maybe contribute a little bit more this season. Yeah, Bounds is a guy I liked in fall practice last year. Uh, as a guy that, as an upperclassman, I think could actually help this program a little bit. So I was, I, I you know, I texted you about that interview. I was pretty hyped. So I yeah. hope it works out for him because he has flashed at times in camp for sure.
1: I asked McIntyre if Chris Bounds is definitely the leader in the clubhouse, and he was really quick to bring up Dylan Keeney. When they had open practices, Keeney would always flash a couple times. During camp or spring ball, there's certainly ability there. They just have not been able to get it to work on game days. Uh, he's now an upperclassman. Maybe maybe the uh, light turns on for him this year. He's certainly a talent that you'd like to get in the mix. And now that he is, I think he's up to 235. He can at least play a little in the with his hand in the ground. I don't think you want him being in, inlined uh, tight end on third yeah, and three
0: or anything like he's that. He's not Sean Irwin for sure, yeah. but he's he's gained some weight definitely since his time here. I will say though that Montez kind of opens up the things that you can do offensively. We all love Seffo. we all know what he does well, but he can't hit everything on the route tree and he definitely doesn't have that gun that can get you to the tight end across the middle sometimes when you need. So uh, that might help the tight ends this year as well, just the ability of Montez to hit any throw because of his arm talent.
1: On the defensive line, the early word is that Javier Edwards and Chris Malumba both look the part. They're going to be contributors and, and really good players, but even as a JUCO guy, you're still adjusting. You're still learning the scheme. Uh, so they're they're talented, but they're swimming at this point, which is to be expected.
0: Yeah, definitely. Obviously, especially Malumba, who hasn't played a whole lot of football in his career. Um, it's probably going to take him a little bit longer to get up to speed. I feel like D-line, though, Once they know their assignments, it gets pretty easy from there in terms of just you know like you got to get the assignments down and then you just go play ball. Go get the quarterback. Go get the football. Um, So I feel you know it'll be a slow process for them to get ready, but once they are ready, everything will kind of snap into place pretty quick.
1: And Javier Edwards might be a candidate for best interview on this team. He's an (laughs) interesting cat for sure. He told me that he's he's working on getting a six pack. I said hate to break your uh, your dreams there, big guy. That's never (laughs) happening. Yeah. But he he does he does need to get down. He was I think he said i uh, I'm sorry three eighty five last season at
0: Blinn. You can't play Pac-12 football at that size. I, I forget who it was that asked the question, um, but I saw someone asked how much he weighed and he said he said three sexy, <laughs>
1: which is amazing. Well, he was talking to Brie Thomas Yeah,
0: that's who it was. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I saw that quote and that made me laugh pretty hard.
1: Yeah, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. He said, this would drive me nuts as a coach because you try to figure out what a recruit wants in a school and you try to recruit them to that. Well, Chris Malumba said he just woke up the day he signed with the Buffalos and just, ah, I just had a feeling. I'll just sign with the Buffs. There was not one thing in particular that made him choose Colorado. Uh, he was said that he was actually silently committed to Arkansas. That's You're where everybody thought he was going. Edwards, not Malumba. Oh, yeah, did yeah, I say? Yeah, you said Malumba. You're Edwards. Edwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think that fell in line with at least we were shocked when he
0: signed with Colorado. At least I don't feel bad for not having a better yeah. idea. Yeah, he, Yeah, that quote. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we all kind of thought he was going elsewhere. And one day we just got a notification that he had signed with Colorado. intent. we were like, what? The same night Jim Levis it's,
1: left. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a big man. And it definitely sounds like he's going to be able to fill into that nose tackle role. I think the goal there, three fifty, probably. He, I mean, he's got a huge legs. He's
0: never going to be. Yeah, and he's tall too. I mean, you got to keep that in mind. I mean, he's he's not going to be three hundred and fifteen pounds. Yeah. Um, at any point, but yeah, I think three fifty is pretty realistic, and he could move around with that too. I mean, he's a good three six three six four from what we've seen. One guy that is not on campus practicing with the Buffaloes
1: this spring is Addison Gillum. Kind of a hot-button topic here that got, uh, generated some some heated discussion on our message board. It's possible that he might retire. Uh, bone, on bow base, bone on bone, basically in that knee. A guy that's, uh, this is now the third defensive coaching staff. They, and I know they're keeping the terminology, but they're still an adjustment period getting used to new coaches. And a lot of the guys he was closest to on the team have graduated now. Uh, I think because of their lack of depth at inside linebacker, you'd like to see him give it a go if his heart's in it. But if he retires, no one out there,
0: if you knew what this kid has been through, he doesn't deserve the criticism in my opinion. Yeah, he definitely doesn't deserve the criticism, and that's coming from a guy who hasn't had a whole lot of faith in him getting back to where we thought maybe he could be. Um, I thought he played pretty well last year in spurts, but you kind of saw why I, I had a lot of that skepticism as well because I don't think he can ever do it for 100 snaps a game again. He just He's just not healthy enough to be there and he's not thick enough to be able to withstand all that punishment throughout the course of an entire season. If he wants to come back, that's awesome, man. I mean, nobody deserves to be able to play football if they want to more than Addison Gillum, but at the same, t- at the same time, nobody deserves to be able to say they're ready to walk away as much as him either. I mean, he's been through it all, so whatever he wants to do, people should support that for sure. With him uh, not in the mix this spring,
1: they have NJ Follow working at Jack Linebacker and Akeel Jones working at Mike Linebacker, I think, had Addison been on campus this spring. you probably see Akil Jones at Jack, but instead they they need to cultivate some depth behind Rick Gamboa, and Mike, because it just isn't there right now. And then you've got Dante Sparaco working at outside linebacker. We were wondering whether he was going to be a hand-in-the-ground guy or be an outside backer. At least for now, he's uh, you know playing on the edge.
0: Uh, do you think th- these guys stick in these roles? I mean, for this season, yeah, sure. I actually think they're pretty comfortable roles for them. Um, I like Akil Jones inside. I think he's going to be a surprise to a lot of people that haven't gotten to see him play yet. I think he could be pretty good. NJ um, Follow, I thought he played pretty well last year coming off suspension. I'd like to see him gain a little bit of weight probably, especially if he's going to play inside.
1: He actually apparently has. He's yeah. put
0: on 10 pounds. That would, yeah, I mean, any anytime you can get more weight out on those linebackers, that's good. I mean, he's kind of a lanky frame. Um, and then Dante Sparaco, yeah, I mean, I think you start him out at outside linebacker and see where things go, I think. We've talked about this a bunch. I think he probably will eventually grow into a hand-in-the-ground type of guy, 3-4-DN perhaps. Uh, But maybe he just, instead of filling out, just tones up and stays right in that 260. We'll have to see how his body reacts.
1: Yeah. The one thing I would say, if you have NJ at Jackbacker, you do miss a little bit of his pass-rush abilities. I think if he is is at at outside linebacker, he could uh, get in the backfield, create some havoc. We saw that as he developed last season, Mm -hmm. so... But, yeah, you got to have depth at those inside backup positions. Again, they they don't really have a ton of it. But those guys working in those spots gives gives you at least a, a solid backup. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about who we think is going to be the uh, starting Jack backer in our mailbag feature here. One more guy to bring up is Evan White. He uh, is back and, and definitely seems like he's
0: ready to take advantage of this second chance he's been given. Well, which is awesome. I mean, because he definitely had talent coming in. Um, I remember. Mac, I'll never forget the quote. I talk about this all the time about McIntyre saying he was going to fire Charles Clark if he couldn't get Evan White to be a starter at CU. Um, so yeah, I mean he's seems like he's gained a good amount of weight as well, which is you know which is important for him. And we've heard a lot of good things about what he's doing there so far. I mean, so if he could add depth to that secondary, maybe that position that Ryan Muller was playing—I forget what they're calling that now—that rover type position—it's a uh, buffbacker. Yeah, buffbacker, exactly. Thank you. Um, that would be awesome because they definitely need, get, you know, valuable guys at both of those roles. Yeah,
1: Isaiah Oliver, he's starring in two sports this spring. Last year he had to wait till spring ball was over. He was under underclassman at that time. I understand the coaching staff saying, Hey, this is your priority. This is why you're, uh, why you're here really. Um, but he's established enough. I think after last season that uh, they're allowing him to, to, to also participate in track while spring ball is going on and, uh, you know, he's, he's doing well. He uh, broke three school records at a meet on February 24th, uh, including a 23-foot, 11-inch long, long jump and 6.94-second uh, time in the 60-meter dash. Those are both, uh, like I mentioned, school records. Obviously, personal best for him. He was all-conference last year with basically no practice. Now that he's getting this extra practice, it'll be fun to watch him compete in the decathlon at the yeah. Pac-12
0: Championships. I mean, yeah, he's a freak athlete. Um. And having watched what Cheeto and the Kelly ran at the Combine, that man's 40-time is going to be something special because we've all watched him practice, and I can guarantee you he's faster than those two dudes. So uh, it's going to be fun once, whenever he decides he's going to go uh, to the Combine. He's definitely going to be a part of that experience, and yeah. he's going to put up some ridiculous numbers.
1: Yeah. You'll hear Shadon Brown talk more about Isaiah Oliver and kind of what – He needs to do uh, during our interview with him. And the point he kind of makes in that interview is like, I just hope he's going to the NFL Combine in a couple years. We'd like to have him around here for a little bit. All right. uh, In terms of that other cornerback spot, you've got three guys legitimately battling for that spot. Dante Wigley, of course, who came in from the JUCO ranks. Anthony Jolmeese who I did a story on the side on Monday night. And then Trey Udofia, who I've got to get a story in on. I did talk to uh, Shadon Brown about him, too. You'll hear that in the interview. Those are, are, as Mike McIntyre said, he he could trust any three of those guys to start. And then you've got Ronnie Blackman in the mix. He's uh, also a strong candidate to return punts in 2017, it sounds like. And then uh, Wigley and Blackman also working at Nickelback. So you're going to see those guys all on the field at times this year. It's just... You know, who's in
0: that, that starting role from day one? Yeah, it sounds like Wiggly's uh, physicality is there. They like him maybe at nickel a little bit as well, uh, which would be great. I mean, I think you kind of get, especially if you feel really good about Eudophia and Jewel Meese. Uh, the fact that we have three guys that he feels comfortable in, you have to feel really solid about your depth there, which is huge. I mean, we were a little concerned about that going in. Which one of these guys steps up? Can, can they uh, be a legitimate starter opposite Isaiah Oliver? If you have four guys you're confident in, I mean, he's he knows corners. Like, he's watched some studs go through this program in the last few years. If he's feeling comfortable with these guys, that's pretty big for our defense. For sure. There
1: is expected to be a place-kicking surprise. Mack McIntyre hinted at this. Uh, we don't have a name on it, but it sounds like a 28-year-old Australian that has experience as a professional soccer player is going to be uh, trying to battle for that starting place-kicker job. And those guys didn't do all that well in the scrimmage. And they didn't do all that well last year. So I think we don't, it's hard to have a strong take not even knowing the guy's name. But uh, at
0: least 28 year olds on a college football (laughs) team just seems like an interesting dynamic to me, especially an Australian one. I bet this guy's a wacko. (laughs) Well, you're making
1: assumptions there, but it will will at least add intrigue to that position battle for sure. I want to
0: meet this guy. I'm ready. It's going to be funny.
1: Utah's had so much success with that, but it's always yeah. been punters, right? I don't have they yeah, taken they always, an Australian
0: kicker? I don't think so. Not that I remember. I mean they're punter they're a kicker right now. I mean it's definitely not Australian. Yeah. But uh yeah, they have had I mean they've won the Ray guy back to back years, didn't they? Two separate yeah. Australian mm-hmm. punters. That's crazy.
1: It's their last international kicking experiment. Really didn't pan out, but it, it it would have if Diego Gonzalez doesn't blow out his Achilles. It's like he had finally gotten to the point where you trusted him as your kicker, and the yeah, second I mean, that ha- that happens,
0: yeah, that was pretty brutal. So I mean, this you know, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? Is he, he's not good and you send him on his way? I mean, it's not like I don't think they're going to give a scholarship to this dude, but I guess we'll find out. I think so. I think are. he's going to be on scholarship. Oh yeah. wow! All right, well, so, I guess I would just wait to see if he's any good first. <laughs> but maybe they know more than we do. I'm sure they do.
1: Yeah. Max Borhe committed to the Buffaloes the evening of February 23rd. Oh, yes, Commitment. Right. Oh, yes, Commitment. Commitment. Oh, Short slot back from Pomona High School. Explosive, versatile offensive weapon. He, this, this dude racked up the stats, man. 4,373 all-purpose yards at the prep level, and this is with him missing time as a junior with a torn ACL. Uh, Cal, Utah, Washington State, and obviously CU, Power 5 offers for him, and he's one of those kids, kind of like John Van Die's last year. If he stays uncommitted through the spring evaluation period, a lot more offers are coming in. I don't know if the USC's of the world are offering, especially coming off that knee injury, but he's going to have at least a dozen offers by the end of the spring evaluation period. Yeah, you? I mean,
0: they liked him enough to have him come out and visit right before he decided USC to commit did, to yeah. yeah, USC, right. So, I don't know if he if he's high on their priority list. I'm not going to make that claim, but um I mean, he's a very talented kid. I mean, he's not if you saw him out in street clothes, you would not say he plays football most likely, but you get him in pads on the field and he's a really dynamic player. Uh his film is a lot of fun to watch if you haven't watched it, especially if you like hurdles. Yeah. Well, it's not so much that
1: I think when you talk about smaller guys, it's that he's it's short, kind of like a Kyle Evans thing. It's he's actually pretty well built for his mm-hmm. size. He just he's so tiny, you know. Right. That, and this is a guy that, that grew up wanting to be a buff. He wants to stay close to his family. Wanted to reunite with Jake Moretti, of course. And he's been rehabbing his knee in the Champion Center. So this definitely looks like a solid commitment. Yeah, I would want to
0: play behind Jake Moretti again as well,
1: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> And, but the Champion Center, again, I, I mean, I don't know if Moretti, if he doesn't rehab his knee at the Champion Center, there's a chance he's not with the Buffs. I think there is a benefit to guys driving in on 36, seeing the flat
0: irons, going to that facility on a regular basis. Yeah, you start to see yourself getting comfortable in a place like that. Obviously, helps with your recruitment for sure. Yeah. Let's
1: talk about the NFL Combine a little bit before we get into that Chadon Brown interview in our mailbag. Uh, Chidobeowouzie. Third-best broad jump in the 11th fastest 40 time at
0: 4.43 seconds, measured in 6'2", 202. Uh, well, he's 6'2", 202. Oh, yeah, that's Cheeto. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheeto is six foot. Um, which is actually a good number for him. I think a lot of people thought that he was smaller than advertised. That turned out to not be the case. There's six foot 202 is you're a, big si- a big corner, actually. Um, at that level, obviously, people know what he can do in terms of his versatility. versatility. The NFL loves that. Broad jump shows explosiveness um decent uh the only thing I think people are gonna be concerned about his hand and arm length were where pre- he's pretty short in that department for sure um so he's not gonna be a rangy type guy, but the speed saves him I mean people thought he was gonna be a four five to four five five guy someone who doesn't blaze um struggles straight line speed and a four four three I mean yeah you're guarding pretty much anybody you need to at that speed so uh, people are just going to throw out that Oklahoma State tape. I think a lot of people were like, "Eh, they say he was hurt, but really, I'm just worried about his overall athletic ability." Everyone knows he was hurt now, for sure. Yeah. Best case, mid second round. Worst case, early third. Oh, man, I mean, the thing is, it only only takes one. You know, um, I would not be shocked. I guess if someone in the late first round wanted to take a chance on him. He's going to end up being, I mean, this is a ridiculous cornerback class. I think what I'll say is in most cornerback classes, he would be a first-round pick probably. But this, a lot of people are calling this the best cornerback class ever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think the most likely scenario now is he's guaranteed himself a round two grade. Uh, He'll go somewhere in round two. But it would not surprise me if he went anywhere outside the top 25. Um, Anything before that, I would be a little shocked, and I would I would be extremely surprised if he made it to round three for sure. He can play Nickelback in the NFL at 202, can he? Oh, yeah. No, I think most evaluators, they say his floor is he's a day-one starter at Nickelback, which means you're a really good prospect. And Akella
1: Witherspoon also had a great day at the Combine, third-best vertical of 40 and a half-inch jump, clocked in at 4.45 seconds in the forty. And probably most importantly, he measured in 6'3, 198. He was definitely not 198 at <laughs>
0: yeah, CU. No, he wasn't. And he looked good too. I mean, so I was concerned when I saw that he weighed in. I was like, oh, he's gonna come in out of shape and he's gonna run slow. Just to trying to show he's bigger. Man, dude. 6'3, one of the longest arms in the combine as well. Uh, not to mention a 40 and a half inch vertical. He is probably the most rangy guy in the entire draft in terms of in terms of that. NFL loves that. And unlike Richard Sherman, he ran in the mid-4-4s. Four I would not be surprised if he rises a ton in the next few weeks in evaluations. He hit every single metric you wanted to see. Obviously, he's not a tackler, but the NFL has seen corners who don't tackle before. Can you completely mask that in the NFL, or is that going to be an issue for him? I mean, it's an issue to some degree, but there are a lot of corners that don't tackle. I mean, he's, that's not what people are signing him to do. He's, he's supposed to be d- protecting you from giving up completions. That's what he's out there to do. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you want to play him with the safety you hits, for sure. Um, so there are going to be some teams that don't like it. Obviously some some teams require their corners to tackle more than others. But there are a lot of guys who start in the NFL that don't tackle. So while it is a concern, the numbers he just put up, he I guarantee he's going to rise. There's no doubt. I'd be really surprised to see him last past day too.
1: Any chance he gets picked before Cheeto?
0: Yeah, I honestly do think there is that chance. NFL guys love that length. There are gonna be people that are really, really, really high on what Akella just did at the combine. I don't think people understand how ridiculous those numbers he just put up are.
1: Tedrick Thompson had a solid day. 4.6040, 32 and a half inch vertical leap, did seventeen reps on the bench press. Uh somebody posted on our board that 4'6 flat, it's it's just slightly below the average for a safety at yeah. the combine. Yeah,
0: and I think it's what people expected from him. Well, I almost a, thought maybe even a 4-7, so... Right, yeah, so I, I don't think any... He didn't hurt himself by any stretch. The 17 on the bench press is a, a good number for him. Uh, I think we already knew at the beginning he didn't have a great broad jump, didn't have a great vertical. He's not the most explosive guy in the world. We all knew that already. All the evaluators knew that from him. He's a cover guy, uh, instinctive with the ball, right, yeah. great hands. You know That's what he's going to do. He's not going to be the most athletic guy on, in your backfield, no. or, I mean, in your secondary... Um, so I, I don't think he's going to move a whole lot one way or the other. He's probably a round four guy, if he's, I had to guess. he's the guy, if you could clock a guy on, reading, reacting, and, and
1: you know, I think that's where his strength is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, at these combines, it's tough to, to put you know, the stopwatch on something like that. Right, yeah.
0: I mean, he's a guy who he's going to gain valuable seconds in the 40 on the football field because he's going to react and read better than some of these other guys who have more pure natural speed. What
1: are we thinking for him, and
0: is is his a lot more of a crapshoot in terms of where he's getting picked? No, I think, I think he's the, probably the, one of the more safe picks. To me, he's probably not a day-two guy. He could sneak into round three maybe, but I'd be most comfortable saying he'll go somewhere in round four, which is, as a safety, that's um, a pretty pretty solid selection. I mean, most of the time, you don't see ten safeties selected in a draft. This, again, like the cornerbacks, is an extremely deep safety class. You're going to have two safeties go in the top ten, which never happens. Um, so yeah, I think he again in a normal class he would be even higher, but uh, yeah, he's a, probably a solid round four guy, and that's I mean you're gonna make the roster as a round four guy for sure, so he'll get some years in the NFL.
1: I didn't get a chance to see it, and there wasn't any buzz around Cepho Lufau's appearance. so I'm assuming that yeah, he didn't really <laughs> have a great day.
0: No, I mean he ran like a five three or something like that, five two I want to say. I mean that's not really his thing, you know. I, mean, I anybody who watches Cepho We had concerns about him being an NFL guy to begin with, and if he is going to prove he's an NFL guy, it's not going to be in drills. We've watched him practice a million times. You put him on the field in game day, he's a different player, uh, but he's not going to be a guy that wows you with his arm talent or his his accuracy. Uh, I'm sure he did really well in interviews. Um, Someone will probably bring him into camp, and we'll see what happens, but I've always maintained he's probably not an NFL guy, and he'll – be a baller in a coaching rank somewhere if that's what he chooses to do he
1: was such a polarizing figure at cu it's like there can be a middle ground you can say that you really appreciated what he did for the props right. and his heart and all that stuff and
0: say that he's not going to play in the nfl and it doesn't make you a bad person for having that take it makes me a bad person i get crushed <laughs> for saying people aren't going to the nba and the nfl all the time as you know um But, yes, that's kind of where I sit in the whole situation is. I love Sappho. He was a great college player, one of the toughest dudes you'll ever watch play football in your whole life. But none of that makes you an NFL quarterback, sadly.
1: A lot of people talking about, well, he could be a great coach. I don't really think, and I'm not saying he can't. If he sets his mind to that, he absolutely can. But Sappho was never the guy that was a football junkie. He watched soccer and played soccer video games in his free time. This was not a guy that was tuning in a game day as soon as he woke mm-hmm.
0: up on Saturday morning. So I don't even know if he has that desire, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't either. I Just just his natural feel for the game and his toughness, I think that he he would be a good motivational guy, which is why a lot of people lean to towards the coaching thing. But he could go into the corporate world and do the same type of thing for sure.
1: Yeah, he, he's certainly going to be successful in whatever he decides to do in life. Pro timing day coming up at CU on Wednesday. Josh Tupo's weight is something to keep an eye on for that, and and frankly, Jimmy Gilbert's, too. Did, was he able to put on some good weight while keeping his B? And then uh, you've got guys like Jordan Carroll, Sean Irwin, Alex Kelly, Kenneth Olobode, and Sam Sakovalo that are certainly going to try to attempt to turn some
0: uh, heads from those scouts. Yeah, and people should have realistic expectations most of the time if you aren't in a combine and aren't invited to those bowls. It's pretty rare that someone takes a chance on you. Um, Brad Jones but, is
1: one that got that opportunity. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, um again, people, you, you might get brought into camp or you might, I think Brad Jones was actually a seventh rounder, uh, which was a shock to a lot of people. And he ended up playing, I think, six or seven years in the NFL. So it can happen, but the chances are slim. Um, all the guys that you mentioned, I think for various reasons, there's a reason they weren't at bowls for the most part. The only one that we were surprised by is Tupo, obviously, but he got left out because of off field issues um, from the com- for the combine from what we've heard. We'll see if he's able to stay in shape and impress some guys because he's the one that for sure I think can play talent-wise at the NFL level. I love what Jimmy Gilbert did this year, I mean, we all know I love Jimmy Gilbert, but he's pretty skinny to play linebacker in the NFL. So we'll yeah. see how it happens, what happens to him.
1: Without further ado, my interview with Shadon Brown. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. Shadon, you got here late January. Jumped right into recruiting. I'd imagine it was kind of a whirlwind at first. Is it slowing down now that we're kind of uh, into spring ball here? Yeah, we're we're midway through spring ball. It's slowing down a ton for me. Uh, You know,
2: just uh, getting to know the kids a lot better, as well as getting to know the tempo of practice, how we practice here, and uh, you know how we do things is is, uh, starting to come together for me. But the the big thing is, uh, you know, the kids, getting to know them, their strengths and weaknesses through going uh, through this part, this point of spring ball is really. Help me to be able to help them
1: and what uh how, how would you describe your coaching style are there certain things that you kind of hang your hat on as, as a defensive backs coach
2: yeah I, number one I, i'm a players coach I, I love the players i think that's that's why i do this uh, i'm a fundamental coach i'm not all about uh, schemes i want to develop guys and i know development is a process so if you ask what type of coach i'm a players coach i'm a developer of talent um, and so that means I don't have to have a four-star ready-made guy. I'll keep working with guys and make them better. That's what I've had to do my whole career. and. Uh- but I'm going to get after them too. I'm going to push them uh, to a place where they, they really don't want to go, and I'm gonna, that's my job to try to get them to be a champion um, each and every day they step out here on the field, and it's always a work in progress. We always can get better.
1: I would imagine as a coach the different, the more different environments you can coach in, the better you're going to be long term. Being at Army, that's obviously a different environment. What, what did that teach you as a coach, and what, what can that help you now coming back to uh, a non-service you know service academy?
2: Well, being at Army really helped me learn to adapt and overcome Thank <laughs> Uh, and, and I say that because at a place like army the the uh, the schedule and the time constraints on your players is a lot different uh, you only have the players for a short block each and every day so you have to be really detailed in your coaching you have to give them short uh, short buzzwords in your coaching because they don't have as much time with you to absorb a lot and so uh, I've taken that uh, same approach as you know I feel like if I'm coaching a guy I got to be able to give it to him in 10 words or less um, or it's too it's too wordy and he's not going to be Able to understand it. Um, I think the difference in these guys is they got a lot more time on their hands to do football, and uh, they take advantage of that. Uh, but you know, every place is different. But these kids here—they're uh, really no different. They—they want to win, and they work their tails off. And that's the same environment I came from. That's why I wanted to take this job. Now, the group you
1: inherited just sent three guys to the NFL Combine. I'm sure you would have enjoyed working with those guys. Do you notice? That opportunity is knocking for some of those guys, and they kind of are trying to seize that opportunity. Do you do you you notice motivation from those guys, knowing that those spots are are, are up for grabs?
2: Well, most definitely. I like to coach the three guys that are at the combine today, working out. Um, But you know, we we've got some talented guys here. They they're just young. You know, I've only got four guys in this group of 20 DBs that have went through a spring practice in their career. So really think about that, Uh, four guys, and uh, you know, so it's a development process, and uh, those. guys also some of them seniors know that opportunities to play plastic past college football is there too so uh, you know to do that they've got to lead they've got to do a great job of helping bring those guys along Uh, and the guys like uh, uh, like Foe and uh, Isaiah Oliver and Nick Fisher and uh, uh, Moeller those guys are doing a great job of leading the younger guys and bringing them along but there's talent here it's just young and anytime you have young talent you got to get it out of them uh, by pushing them every day but they have to have reps so they're going to have some some screw ups and some, some bad plays but if you look back those three guys that were at the combines freshman and sophomore years, they had screw ups too. Yeah. They look, don't, you can't forget where they were, or don't forget where they came from. Those guys came from playing as freshmen, screwing it up, and then they're seniors and they look like the best players in the country. And they
1: were. That's why they're at the combine. But it takes time to get to that point. And we got some guys that can get there as well. And you have a couple hybrid guys in Orion Muller that played both in the, in the, at safety and closer to the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Sounds like Evan White's going to have a similar role. Do you still coach those guys when they go to that buff backer position, or do you do you hand them off to to Coach Elliott? No, I coach them all. I'm,
2: I coach the nickels, I coach the Buffs, and the corners and safeties. Okay. So I'm coaching six guys, so I got a I got a big task. I've got I've got some help with some some of our off the field guys. They help us out with get keeping me straight on who's who's in the game and who's who's out of the game and all that, but I coach all those guys because they all double up. Ryan Moeller plays safety for us as well as he'll play the uh, buff position, which is a, a hybrid linebacker safety, as well as Evan White is playing in that role some, as well as Kyle Trigo. Those guys are doing a good job in that position. That position is a really good position for us because it allows us to get another fast, big fast athlete on the field, so essentially we have five DBs in the game at all times. So we don't have to go nickel to get another DB, and we got another DB and we go buff. And so we got a stronger guy who can play the run game. So it's better for us on first and second down that we can go to our nickel package on third down, which allows us to get guys on the field. So my room is pretty flexible in that I got guys that play nickel, got guys that play corner, guys that play buff, guys that play safety. That only means one thing, there's more reps for somebody else. Has a leader emerged in that defensive backs room, or is that still a work in progress? No question. Fo uh, okay. is the leader in that, in that room, he, he's, the, he's the unsung leader in that room, he's the vocal guy, he's the heart and soul of that room, he gives it, he gives it every day, he pulls it out every day with effort uh, and, and he wears it on his sleeve, he's an emotional leader, uh, he cares about his teammates and uh, sometimes he, he he disciplines them with, with, uh, with, with tough love sometimes, but they know he cares about them. And he, and the other thing that he does he does a great job working with our with our young guys and our walk-on players he doesn't treat any of them different all of them's family and uh, he breaks it down with the guys on family every day and that's and that's a big deal for us in the back and we got to be a family I tell those guys every day hey we got to eat pressure for breakfast because it's pressure any mistake on the football field on defense everybody looks at the secondary because it's easy so we got to learn that that's part of it and we got to eat that for breakfast and keep
1: rolling we do that by being a family would imagine someday Isaiah Oliver will get invited to that NFL Combine. What what can he still work on at this stage of his football career?
2: Isaiah can't get bored. Isaiah got to continue to work on his craft, continue to work on playing press coverage, and continue to work on his feet. Uh, and just continue to work every day. He's got the natural ability. He's got the length. He'll have a chance to be in the combine. He may have a chance after this year. I, I hope he doesn't leave after this year. But uh, he just got to keep working. Sometimes when you when you're when you're really good, sometimes you think you've hit the plateau, hit the peak. But you got to keep working because there's somebody out there that's always a little bit better. And that's where he is. And I tell him every day, compete with yourself. He got to compete with himself to be better than himself from the day before, and he'll continue to be a to be a great player, and uh, hopefully he'll he'll have a future
1: in the, at the next level. But we want to we want to win a Pac-12 championship first. And just the last thing I was going to ask about, and I have to ask you because when I talk to guys who's standing out this spring, Trey Udofia's name has come up quite a bit. What would have been your early impressions of him?
2: Trey Trey a really quiet guy. Trey is quiet, and Trey has uh, done a good job of uh, of making some plays on the ball in the air, and uh, he's quietly. Started to, to catch people's eye and flash on film, and uh, you know some of the older players have even noticed him. You know he's a redshirt freshman, so he's a guy that's his first spring. He's, he's uh, he makes some mistakes, but he's starting to learn from those mistakes and make some plays. And he's a guy that, that that's pushing right now for some playing time. He'll be a guy that's being that will be in the mix in the fall. All right, thanks, coach. Thank you.
1: Well, Tyler, you had a chance to talk with Shadon Brown at the football preview luncheon before. I even had an opportunity to talk to him. You talked highly of him, and I'm definitely high on yeah. him now after that interview.
0: Yeah, it's always hard to like convince people, like, oh, just wait, you'll hear from this guy, and you're going to love him. He's that type of personality, and yeah, hopefully you guys agree with me from that interview. He is definitely a special talent in terms of uh, meeting with the people and you know having a good personality, and I think he's going to be a coach that... Uh, demands a lot out of his players while also just not being difficult to be around. So, I mean, that's obviously a delicate balance. I think he's actually going to be a really great addition to this coaching staff. One thing I forgot to ask him and I was meaning to was just talking about
1: the fact that he's having now to go into areas to recruit that he's never gone to, kind of the transition there. I think personality wise he'll be able to overcome some of the inexperience of recruiting in the in the CU recruiting footprint just because again of that personality.
0: Yeah, and because of that personality I think parents are going to love him as well because they're going to key into that fact that he demands a lot out of his players and he's going to ask that you're respectful and you know all that stuff. I mean he's coming from the army. He has that kind of mentality to him to some degree that he expects you to be you know that type of man that does everything right. So I think parents are going to kind of latch onto him as well as a guy yeah. that they trust.
1: Definitely earning his paycheck too, of course. Previously under McIntyre, they split up the safeties and cornerbacks' coaching responsibilities. Now they're in the same room. I think on the good side of that, you've heard some players talk about how there's more of a family feeling among the defensive backs. But on the flip side, you're stretched thin, and I know Nate Tay helps out there in the secondary, but that's a lot of guys, especially the way – you know, team spread you out in college football now. That's mm-hmm. He's definitely going to be logging long hours in the offices this year for sure.
0: Yeah, it did seem like last year most of the corners and safeties hung out together as well, though. They were friendly so, for sure,
1: yeah. yeah. But, I mean, in terms of going into the meeting room, they were, mm-hmm. you know, hearing different messages because they were in different rooms. Yep.
2: It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede radio mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops.
1: At jpaulie11 asked, what three players are most likely to have a breakout season? He also asked about Kyle Evans, which we already addressed, and then he wanted to know whether the 2018 recruiting class will be better than the 2017 class Uh, We already addressed that actually on our last show, right? Mm -hmm. We were flat out asked that question. So uh, at Eleven, definitely check out our spring ball uh, preview for for the answer to that question. In terms of uh, what three players are most likely to have a breakout season, I'll throw one, and then you throw one in there. I'll start out with Drew Lewis at Jack Linebacker. He is uh, basically the heir apparent to Kenneth Olobode there. Good speed. Uh, Not the biggest linebacker, but... Neither was Olabode, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so that's one guy I think is going to have a
0: breakout season. Yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on what your definition of breakout season is. I mean, I think Isaiah Oliver would kind of be cheating because <laughs> I feel like going from a guy who's not starting to starting kind of qualifies. But yeah, Steven Montez all, would be cheating. Right, exactly. Yeah. We all know what to expect from Isaiah Oliver. Meister um, is going to be a linebacker as well. Um, so I'll, I'll go with something else. I guess I'll... I mean, I guess Jawan Winfrey, can I say that? He's a guy who maybe people haven't sure. seen yet.
1: Yeah, he's coming back from an ACL. Um, I also had Nick Fisher at safety, especially with Ryan Moeller and Evan White also practicing at Buffbacker. I think there's an opportunity for Nick Fisher with Afalabe Luguda to, to get a lot of reps back at safety. And another name, we've talked about him on the show before, Frank Gumu on the defensive line. Not breakout in that he's going to be a pack all-Pac-12 guy or anything like that, but breakout in the sense that you're going to have the casual CU fan going, who is that guy out there? Because Just because of his size, and I think he's going to make enough plays to, to yeah. get
0: noticed. And Another one I was going to mention, linebacker, was NJ Follow. Um, I, I got really comfortable with him playing last season. Uh, I thought he improved quite a bit throughout the year. And you mentioned... Um, him not being able to blitz as much Navy as you like. But I kind of see maybe that similar type role. They like to blitz Addison uh, Gillum out of that center, out of that middle linebacker spot in delayed blitzes a lot. Mm-hmm. And I could see the same kind of success for NJ there, just being that guy that bullets through, gets some guys late. Um, you know, obviously with the secondary, making plays back there as well. So I, I could see him having a pretty big year for us as well.
1: And I all, I wanted to say K. and Ento, but there's just so much talent. Yeah. Depth of receiver, it, it's it's hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, he's
0: the thing. People don't really understand. He would have started for most of the CU teams in the last decade, for sure. Um, he's probably our fifth or sixth best receiver, despite being really talented. I mean, you're just not. There's not enough opportunities um, to break out. I guess, for lack of a better term, but people should know who he is by now. I mean, no one should be saying who's that number seventeen dude and why is he on the field. I mean, he's on the field because he can play football. Yeah. At Ben Hoff
1: asked, will the offensive scheme change with Montez as the presumptive starter? Well, you're going to see less quarterback runs on third and short.
0: Yeah, Um, I think you're going to see a lot more. The play calling is going to be a lot more uh, intricate, I guess, this year, for lack of a better term. It seemed like, especially when we were struggling last year, we went back to our bread and butter and ran a lot of the same plays over and over again in hopes that they would work. Montez can make a lot more plays. Uh, especially in scramble mode, I feel like, as well. He's going to yeah. elongate some plays and you know just kind of make some garbage turn into something real pretty occasionally as well. So, yeah, I think you will see it change. You're going to see um, some routes that we probably haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, I think intermediate passing game is going to be better because right. that wasn't Sefo's strength, and I think Montez sees the middle of the field a little bit better yeah. than Sefo than did. The, the challenge there, yeah, you're not going to have as many design runs on third and short. But you're going to have a lot more big plays with him scrambling. You've got to find the right balance there. Mm-hmm. Was it the USC game that I'm thinking of where it's like he would almost go into that mode of putting his head down
0: and wanting to run too soon? I think if I remember right. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was USC. Maybe Stanford is what it was. Well, Seffo played. Split oh, Seffo, Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. Okay, then it probably must have been USC. Yeah, he it almost looks like he's, he needs to know how to get down for sure as well. I remember a couple yeah. times he's like stumbling around. Looked like he was going to fumble everything. Uh, So yeah, keeping him healthy is a high priority for this offense as well, I would say.
1: Another question from Ben Hoff. How is the battle to be the starting center shaping up? If Linat wins, who starts at right guard?
0: This is a tough one to answer on uh, March 7th for sure. Yeah, especially since we haven't been able to see much practice. Um, Probably Hawkins is the guy that we expect to maybe start there I don't know it's there's there's a lot of I maybe mean, it could be yeah. Jake Moretti I don't think he's going is he practicing right now No, he's not has not been cleared again precautionary with those yeah.
1: ACLs there's no reason especially with an early spring ball but I heard summer he's gonna be cleared yeah so
0: I mean what in fall camp assuming that we get to actually watch practice a few times we can yeah. give you a more exact answer there
1: well there is the possibility that Jeremy Irwin who is practicing a guard could stay in a guard now, you'd need a tackle to emerge one candidate there. I, I did a feature on him earlier this spring. Is Isaac Miller, who talked about the really lengthy process to get his knee right, and he's still trying to get back to 100%. Uh, I even asked Mike McIntyre. I said, is he in the mix when he's healthy? And McIntyre was very confident in saying yes. He's, he, he was their most improved offensive lineman last spring and had gotten up to 290 or 285, somewhere in that range. Um, he's got to put on weight, but he's a guy that, that has a chance. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows with Grant Pauly and Will Sherman coming in. um, And then McIntyre said he liked what he saw from the young offensive lineman during last Saturday's scrimmage. Those guys, Hunter Vaughn, Colby Purcell, and Chance Lytle. It would be pretty CU for, like, a Chance Lytle to be, like, a starter (laughs)
0: from
1: day one, wouldn't it? Yes. It seems like a lot of times those under the radar, (laughs) O come in and play well. Yeah, that would be a surprise for sure. (laughs) it, It always seems weird if you gray shirt a guy and then play him as a true freshman. It's like... Well, you should have just brought him on. Well, he was on campus, but you should have just brought him on as a full yeah. member of the team if you're going to do that.
0: Yeah, most of the gray shirt guys follow up with a red shirt, I feel like, for the most yeah. part.
1: One guy that didn't was Alex Lewis, and we kind of know how that all transpired, yeah. but I digress here. <laughs> At Old School Buff, what are the realistic timetables for Jake Moretti and Jalen Jackson being able to con- uh, contribute following injury recovery? Yes, uh, summer timetable is last I heard there.
0: Yeah, and and again, with Jackson at wide receiver being such a depth uh, strength for us, I would be surprised if you watched him play this year. I guess if that was the direction you were going. Moretti could certainly play this year. I would be surprised if Jackson does.
1: Yeah, and they're expecting Jalen Jackson to be a slot too. So you have Devin Ross going into his senior year. You're definitely not trying to rush him for sure. we got an interesting question here from Cromulent. He said, "The Ringer did
0: their top fifty fast food items. What are your top choices? Well, you I'm, big fast food guy, Tyler?" So I used to like it, but I try not to eat it now. The only time that I eat it now is if I get off work and I didn't eat dinner, and it's pretty much the only thing open in yeah. Denver at this hour. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of fast food anymore, I must say. But Chick Fil A is definitely the best overall. Okay, I'll what's what's your go uh, to item to order? I usually out. just go with the nuggets. Uh, the waffle fries there are fire though.
1: See, that's the Ringer actually had yeah, that as the number, number one, right? one item. Mm-hmm. I'm not like strongly against that. I think they're good. My fries though, I, if I had to pick one, uh, Arby's curly fries was
0: pretty good. I'm, I can't remember the last time I ate Arby's. I will say the other place that doesn't get a lot of love that I do enjoy occasionally is Good Times. Okay. They got some solid I fries. I not eaten there
1: in like five Spoon, years. Spoon shakes
0: over there are pretty good. Yeah.
1: You know, in terms of a fast food sandwich, my favorite is actually the
0: Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich. Yeah, I don't like the spicy as much as the regular. But okay. I will say when of the major ones like the, you know, the McDonald's, the Burger King, Wendy's is the only one that's you you can't go to any of the other ones in my opinion.
1: I used to love their chili Plus until McDonald's somebody breakfast. told me that like they put like sc- leftover like scrap meat into that thing and now I'm like I have a hard time ordering that. <laughs> just knowing it was kind of the scraps on the side of the grill and they just put it into the the big pot, that's kind of gross. That's probably not surprising, though. <laughs> probably not surprising, yeah. So, uh, well, what about just burger in general?
0: It, the the ringer, they say in-and-out double-double. It's hard to disagree with that. It is good, but to, to, to me the thing is, like, all fast food so overrated. You know what I mean? Like, you could get a good burger at a legitimate restaurant over anything fast food. Like, I understand the convenience aspect of it and the price and all that, but... Uh, if you're asking what my favorite burger is right now, Highland Tavern Burger is pretty amazing. Okay. City Grill's got a great burger, Dark Horse. Yeah, that's the City Safe Grill doesn't good.
1: count as fast food, though.
0: No, that's what I mean. Oh, for fast food burgers, I just don't. What about, does Lark Burger count? That's probably. fast. You
1: walk up. Yeah, and probably. I would say that. That's Lark probably my favorite. I think solid. in Colorado, that to me, that's just as good as a double-double, honestly. And then their, uh, have you had their Parmesan truffle fries at yeah. Lark Burger? Yeah, Lark
0: Burger's good. I, honestly, I, if I do eat fast food, I don't ever get a burger. I can't remember the last time I ate a burger at a fast food place.
1: This is probably going to piss some people off because I know it's really, really, really popular. And I do think Five Guys is tasty, but it just like is falling out both sides. It's too messy. All the moisture of the toppings makes the bun really soggy. I, I've never really gotten onto the Five Guys thing.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not bad. Don't get me
0: wrong. It tastes good, but. I heard Fat Jack is coming to um, Rhino in Denver, so I'll okay. have to try that out. I've heard that's pretty bomb. All right. I haven't had what are the other ones? Like Smash Burger? Um uh, it's okay. Yeah, Smash Burger I haven't had since college, I don't I don't think. I don't remember it being overly exciting. There's always
1: those like random rumors about In N Out coming to Colorado and everyone gets all excited. I don't think it's ever gonna happen.
0: It's just like In N Out is good and it's cheap, but it, I'm just so over everyone like everyone just gets really mad when you're like, it's not the greatest thing I ever ate in my life. It's just like alright guys, calm down. It's just a 10 cent piece of crappy beef. You can definitely taste that it's fresher. I mean, oh for sure, that's definitely true. I mean, it is good, but you guys got to chill out. You're you're overselling it, man. At Always Cromulent had one, or actually it has two more questions.
1: This one is: If you could change one thing about the athletic department to make CU athletics better, what would it be? If you, you might only get this if you're on Buff Stampede, but it's got to be. you got to remove the wire. <laughs> the Folsom
0: Fuel wire. It's got to go. I, don't, I wish I remembered who posted that. Just so that I hope, really, he, I
1: hope he has a sense of humor about it because
0: it's been fun. Oh, he's probably
1: gone. He's probably
0: gone. Really? Over yeah. that? Oh, yeah, dude. We he, weren't I, don't, really... I don't even think he responded to the threat. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> Wait, was it Whether one of those where we're trying to make fun of him? It's like we weren't laughing at him. We were trying to laugh with him.
0: <laughs> oh, I was laughing at you. <laughs> um yeah, it was I hope you're still on the board if you are. Shout us out because I I truly want to respond to, to all of your posts with something about the wire just to make my life more fun. Do you have any serious answer here, Todd? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Basketball marketing. I know my man Will Whalen is going to cape me on this as well. He he had an article about this recently that I loved. Uh, it's just really annoying to me like I get that most people care about football more than basketball. But I was just kind of chuckling to myself the other day about how we freaked out about this basketball season. And rightfully so, we thought they were going to be better. But our bad year now is we're 18-13 and and a 7-seed in league play. Like, the last 10 years, our football program didn't come anywhere close to accomplishing anything what the basketball team did this year. And I just feel like there's a lot more excuses for them. So it's just irritating to me how quickly people fall off the bandwagon. And I wish our marketing department worked harder to build more basketball fans.
1: Well, this is a good segue to Always Cromulant's last question here. He asks, have you guys noticed the week game day operations
0: at Coors Event Center this year? Why are fans so unengaged? Uh, yeah, I have noticed. It's part of, why, part of my frustrations. Um, it just seems like as soon as the fan base dwindles a little bit, they just give up. And that's not how you build long-term fans. Um, so it's been frustrating for me to see, and it has been a joke this year. Uh, It was like dwindling, and then the CSU loss, it was like everybody was just, I'm out.
1: Yeah, It it seemed like that game was kind of, when people You guys aren't doing
0: anything that important, I'm sorry to say. Like, I was in college, too. Like, you guys are just drinking. You can weigh it for three hours and go watch a fun basketball team. Especially in the Pac-12 this year. I mean, you're watching probably six first-round NBA picks in this conference. I'm still disappointed. Markel
1: Fulst didn't play in Boulder.
0: Yeah, it's you know what I mean? like You get to watch some of the best players in the country play basketball at Coors Event Center. It's just frustrating that people seem to find that not to be even remotely interesting.
1: In terms of why fans are so unengaged, it it, it was, I mean, the team did underperform this year. And again, that CSU loss, I think that was when people had the excuse to say, I'm writing this team off. But then there's a couple other things there too, in my opinion. One, CU men's basketball is not the new cool thing anymore. It, it kind of have a novelty on some level. And then, you know, the football team having success this year, you didn't have a, a fan base that was so starved to see, yeah. you know, what you, what you thought might be a
0: winning product. So I think that plays into it a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. But I guess I'd just take the opposite approach. and is oh, you watch what a successful program can do for a school, and I would just do anything I could to make sure that everything was successful and not showing up at the first sign of weakness – isn't the way to get it done. Yeah. At Jace underscore
1: Kenny asked, how many games can see you win in the Pac-12 tournament? Um, I mean, the, the word can is, is tough in questions like this because theoretically anything can happen, but I think we agree that the magical run they had when the Pac-12 was down, there's just, not, it's 0.1% chance of that happening. Like yeah, I, I mean,
0: the year that we won the Pac-12 tournament, all of the teams in the league were terrible. And then we, we, they would have had one team in, which is crazy for a Power Five conference. If we had not won the tournament, it's um, gotta be the only time in the
1: history of the conference that the regular season champion didn't make the tournament, right? Wouldn't you think?
0: Oh, I think the regular didn't the regular Washington she- didn't make oh, it. That's who Cal was. made Cal, it. In. Cal yeah. made it. in. But they were the regular season champion. Okay, fair enough. For some reason, I thought Cal was the champion, and just didn't win. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I would have to think that's probably correct. Um yeah that was just an unusual year for basketball this year i mean we'd ha- we would have to go through arizona u c l a and Oregon in a row to win the conference. Good luck with that um, I would say i mean one is likely i'd give us maybe a twenty percent chance against arizona i mean i I do feel like they've overplayed their talent level this year if that means anything to you yeah. and we've underplayed ours i mean yeah. if we if we play well against them and they struggle, we can definitely win that game. But I mean, it, it, to ask us to beat Arizona, UCLA, and Oregon three days in a row, that's just not going to happen.
1: And with Arizona, that's not a neutral game. That's a road game in Las oh, Vegas. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, yeah, if you've never been there before. It, we're in a new stadium this year, 18,000 18, seats. But um, Arizona brings about 90% of the overall Pac-12 fan population <laughs> to the tournament. So it'll definitely be a road game.
1: At L underscore Jeffrey had a question here. If the Buffs beat Washington State, Arizona, and UCLA, but lose in the Pac-12 men's basketball championship game,
0: would they make the tourney? Um, I mean, they probably shouldn't. But, I mean, the bubble is so bad this year, the tournament might just be starved to get someone in. I I would say that that would give us four top 25 wins. And there, there are no teams on the bubble that have four top 25 wins except for Syracuse. Um, and they have some of the worst losses of the entire bubble. So they're kind of in limbo. We would be kind of in that same boat with Syracuse. I mean, that would be impressive. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a possibility. I, I'd have to do some more you know, exact research for you on that. Um, but no, I would say the chances are pretty slim. Why don't you wait to do that research until after they beat at least Arizona? Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Don't waste too much time on it. I have all my seeds coming out today. Trust me, the amount of research that goes into doing the seed lines. It took me like 13 hours over the last two days.
1: And if memory serves, your your projections are as good as a lot of the national prognostications, right? Yeah,
0: um, but I will say this, though. I mean, every single year, 60 of them you know is getting in. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, it's... It's just those last two or three teams that really, at the end of the year, become difficult. The more difficult thing is accurately hitting the guys on the right seeds. I mean, anybody can say Arizona's going to make the tournament, but what seed are they? Have you actually looked at their resume and see how they stacked up against other teams across the country? That's where I feel like the people you can tell who did the research and who didn't based on their projections there, um, getting the right teams in the tournament really isn't that hard outside of the final two or three slots.
1: Real quick, we should probably recap their recent homestand. Of course, they uh, shot uh, 56.5% with 25 assists and just six turnovers in a 19-point win over Stanford. And then kind of the complete reversal of that on Saturday, they they only shoot 34% from the field, three more turnovers and assists in the game, but they held Cal to 27% shooting. Golden Bears only had six field goals in in the entire second half of that game. Uh, so you saw them win in two very different ways. Uh, and then, of course, that Saturday game against Cal was senior day. So it, it was a, a clearly a, a successful homestand. And just another example of, hey, if this
0: team had their head on right from the beginning, they could have accomplished some things. Yeah, I mean, basketball is a funny sport like that. They're really just a couple end-of-game results different, uh, you know, away from being an NCAA tournament team. It's crazy how small the margin is there sometimes. Um But, yeah, I mean, Stanford is a great matchup for us personnel-wise. So I feel like we've beaten them, I think, eight or nine times in a row now. just seems like how they run their program and how we run our program is just always going to be a friendly matchup for us. Um, In hindsight, we probably should have expected that Cal game to turn out that way. Cal's a really good defensive team, top ten efficiency in the country. Um, And also, it was a really quick turnaround. I mean, Thursday night, super late night Thursday night, especially for Cal, um, having to come in from Utah really early game on Saturday. That's pretty unusual in college basketball to have that quick of a turnaround, so I guess we shouldn't have been too surprised by how ugly it was. Uh, the refs, on the other hand, though, they were a complete abomination in that game. I almost got thrown out about four minutes into the game. <laughs> I will say in my defense I did not sleep the night before, so um, I was probably a little bit cranky. <laughs> um, were you, were you like, cracked out on coffee then? No, yeah, so I, I closed that night, and then I had to take my girlfriend to the airport at 4.30 in the morning, so I just stayed up. And then I had a meeting at work at eight, and then went straight to the game. So yeah, it was it was an interesting adventure for <laughs> sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean it was nice to see us win in multiple ways. Uh, I think we probably knocked Cal out of the tournament. So in terms of NCAA tournament revenue, it's bad for the league, but um, good for us. Uh, and yeah, I mean hope you know we'll. If we beat Washington State, we'll have a chance to get Tad another 20-win season against Arizona. I mean, it would be pretty funny if all this craziness happened and somehow we still found a way to win 20 games.
1: Well, in the NIT, that's probably going to happen, right?
0: I mean, um, Well, we'll get, honestly, we'll get into the NIT stuff a little yeah. bit better.
1: For, let's talk about Derek White a little bit. Obviously named first-team all-Pac-12, and he was uh, on the conference's all-defensive team. His stat line this season, 17 points a game, a team best 45 blocks, a team best 39 steals. He had 76 more assists than any other buff, and he did this while shooting better than 50% from the field, better than 40% from three-point range, and 80% from the charity stripe. Uh, You could not
0: have asked for more out of this guy this year. He's a freak, and I'll still never get over that tweet that someone sent us that we talked about on this podcast about that dude asking me why Derek White continued to shoot threes early on in the year. And I was like, well, probably because he can make them. <laughs> a lot of them in clutch situations, obviously, yeah, too. I mean, he's... that's Honestly, he's the reason I'm so concerned for next year. I mean, he literally did everything for this team, and we still struggle at times, for sure. Uh, so what are we going to do next year? Um, he is a beast. I mean, him, him leading the team in blocks says a lot about some other guys, but... Um, I just, I will, man, it's it's almost frustrating to watch him play because having him next to Josh Scott for one season, like could you imagine how different the perception of this basketball program would be right now if he was able to play last year with Josh? That team makes the Elite Eight, I guarantee yeah. you. I think the, the fact that he
1: was at the D2 level for a while and then the fact that he plays so in control – sometimes Mass the fact that he actually is athletic. Sometimes you don't think he is. And then a couple of those dunks this year, you're like, wow, okay.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, people have asked me in the last couple of weeks if I think he's an NBA guy, and I'm pretty upfront about how I feel in the, for the most part about those guys.
1: And that's why they dress and, up you
0: as you for Halloween. <laughs> right, exactly. And um, before the year, I said that he wasn't, but we hadn't really gotten enough to see him play. And I st- he's not probably now. I mean, P- Kyrie Irving is a year older than Derek White. I mean that tells you how talented some of these guys are that play in the NBA right now, but he made a couple plays that NBA players make this year, and I if you had told me before the year would I have said that, the answer is no. so I think he's definitely improved his chances. He has proven that he can play with more athletic players and find ways to be successful. His size at guard makes the transition easier for Josh Scott. I mean he's just his level of athleticism is better positionally than Josh's was to make that transition I mean I hope someone takes a chance on him because I do think he could be a solid bench guy I and mean, he's a big guard who can score he's unselfish um, he can defend a little bit obviously as well which is key for the NBA but I mean if we're being honest he's not exactly he's a, he's more athletic than people give him credit for but you got to be next level to make the NBA for the most part
1: I'd almost rather see him go over to Europe and just be an absolute star over there in in yeah. in, a, in a quality league versus a kind of, 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 of doing work. the a Booker hanging around the D league like mm-hmm. I just that doesn't seem like you're
0: you're really maximizing your ability. Right. Even. I mean he fits into Europe more. I mean Ski would wash out of Europe with his style of play that's just not Even as they, like
1: a sixth man kind of yeah. uh, change of pace just not how
0: they do things there. You know what I mean? Like the only way you last in Europe is if you're Stefan Marbury and play that way and can score 90. Ski's not going to do that. Derek White has the perfect game to be successful in Europe. He could be the best player on a really good team in the Spanish league or the Italian league, no doubt. For a long time, make a ton of money, you know, be um, a national, you know, a star for his country. There, I mean, like people would love him. I think if he did that, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's still a successful basketball career. I want people to understand that, even if he doesn't make the NBA. So, I'm just happy that he. Got a chance to show his town at the Division One level. I still feel like his story is not being told enough nationally about what you. Mean. There are a couple guys who move up from D two and D three and play well. I mean, there's a guy in Michigan right now, Duncan Robinson, who's a solid player for them. But nobody's winning first team all conference coming from a Division Two program. I've never seen that happen before. What are you going to miss most about these departing seniors? Well, I think I talked about Derek enough, um, so you got of well, yeah, the idea there. For Derek, yeah. I was, uh, Derek, I was just going to say I'm going to miss everything about the guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, people just don't give him enough credit. I don't think. Like I just feel bad that the arena wasn't packed for him every night because he's one of the best college players I've ever watched play in a Colorado uniform for sure. Um, Wes, I, I, you know, I mean, he's polarizing for me for sure. I he's he's, I guess I would say I'm really tough on him because he did have the talent to be something so much more. I mean, he's still a pretty good player though. I think we'll miss. Is passing the most. I think he, that Stanford game was like an epitome of what he can do for this team. Pass out of double teams, find open guys, make other guys better on the court when he's fully engaged. Um, so I think you're going to, people are saying that Torrey's better than him. That's not true. I mean, he's nowhere near West defensively, even though I think West is overrated a bit on defense. Um, he can't pass the ball out of the post. He's not going to do any of that stuff for you. So next year, you're going to have some frustrations with him as well, probably. Um, Josh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss his junior year <laughs> more than anything else, to be honest. I mean, I just feel bad for him at this point. He's he's done everything that I've asked now that he's playing again. He's, he's not taking terrible shots. Um, he's taking wide-open threes. They're, he just can't get anything to drop at this point. Um, he's done a little bit of a better job defensively. So he's, you know, he, I feel like he's earned his minutes now at least. Like he's playing minutes and helping the game. Uh, on one side of the court, I wish he would stop bringing the ball up when he gets rebounds and passing it because he literally turns the ball over every time. But I, I, uh, if there's one thing that I would like to see happen in the Pac-12 tournament, it's him have a nice shooting night somewhere in there to close out his career. I feel like he deserves that. Um, and Xavier Johnson, I'm going to miss his energy. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, he, no one gets the course Event Center pumped up like he can. Uh, I feel like you know some of the off-the-court stuff, he's going to tarnish his legacy a little bit here. Uh, but on the court, man, he was a pleasure to watch. Uh, I feel like he's a little more of a leader than he's given credit for on the court as well. And he played really good basketball this year. I mean, besides Derek, he's the only other reliable guy on the team.
1: Yeah, I had energy for XJ too. And just when things were going well, it was really fun to watch him out there. I'm going to miss Wesley Gordon's unique personality I've never met somebody quite like Wesley Gordon and probably never will again. He's very unique in that sense. Uh, but I said just
0: fortunes, resiliency. It would be easy for a guy to kind of give up with some of the hard times he's had. And- yeah, and I will say to his credit, it doesn't seem like the team doesn't like playing with him, which, I mean, could that could happen if you're just out there shooting and turning the ball over and nothing ever goes in. Like, that gets frustrating at times as a teammate, so... Off the court, he must be a really great guy. Got guy to be around because it does seem like he still fits into this team. And there's been there, that could easily have not been the case with the way he's played this year.
1: Well, the Buffs are Vegas bound. Uh, actually, going to have a practice on Tuesday evening out in
0: Vegas. And Tyler, you are uh, Sin City bound as well. I am. I'm driving, so I'll update you guys on Twitter. It should be really boring um i'm hoping to have some fun with it though i feel like we i did the same thing for san antonio and actually got a lot of really positive feedback on some of the ridiculous things i was doing throughout the trip so uh hopefully i can do something similar that entertains you guys again i'm disappointed a lot of my friends aren't coming this year or if they are they're coming late uh seems like not a lot of cu fans are coming in general which is a bummer i mean because obviously you want the bus to win but let's be honest we all go to vegas for different reasons um and it's going to be fun, one way or the other. So, I mean, I know you were there last year. You're not doing it this year, so uh, yeah, I got I'm spring gonna, ball, so I'll yeah, be doing that. I'm going to have to uh, have some fun, you know, doing my own thing a little bit, which is it should be fun. I mean, I'm excited. I love yeah. me personally. I love basketball, so I do go there to watch the other games as well. Um, but you know, I also love Vegas, so to me, it's a trip. I'm doing. They could go Owen sixteen, and I'll or Owen eighteen, and I'll still be there every okay. single year. Okay.
1: As long as the weather isn't bad, that actually is not a horrible drive. You you know, obviously drive through the mountains and Grand Junction and then you kind of cut Utah and you see some scenery through there. I mean, I'm not saying it's the greatest drive ever, but have you ever done it before? It's not no, too I bad. Ha-
0: I haven't driven all the way to Vegas. So it's about the distance
1: where when you get there, you're like, Man, I yeah, I really wouldn't want to be in the car any longer. But right,
0: I mean that's how San Antonio was. So that's four more hours. So I'm gonna feel like this trip is nothing probably. Okay. Uh um, well, I hate the car, so, so. yeah, so. I love the car. Okay. That's why everyone's like, You're an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, I am, but I have fun. I like driving. I like seeing parts of the country I've never been to. So, I, you know, even if it's a place no one wants to go. So, from that perspective, I'll have fun with it. The new arena they're going to be playing in is
1: bigger than the MGM Garden oh, yeah. Arena, which I don't know if that's a good thing because I really felt like the Garden
0: Arena was just this awesome environment for it, that tournament. It was great. Um, they did a really good job there. I will say, I mean, if, if T Mobile just isn't you know, too big for their britches and tries too hard to do their job. I mean, if it's slow, just let everybody go down into the lower bowl and have fun. And that, you know, that, that makes it, you know, it's a tighter packed environment in that case. And that usually works out. So as long as you're like obviously not stealing someone's two seats that are left available, I hope that they're a little more lenient. MGM did a good job with that as well. If Arizona's not playing, it was lightly attended at times. So um, if, if they're not a pain about that kind of stuff, I think it'll work out fine.
1: The Buffs are the 7th seed for the Pac-12 tournament. And then, uh, of course, they're going to take on the 10th seeded Washington State Cougars on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And then, of course, we talked about this a little bit. The winner will take on 2nd seeded Arizona in the quarterfinals on Thursday at 7 p.m. Buffs were 1-1 against the Cougars in the regular season. Really blew them out in Boulder, 81-49. Uh, that was in mid February, and then in late January, one of the games you talk about how the season could have gone differently—that overtime loss in Pullman, uh, where they kept battling back but just couldn't make shots when they had the lead down the stretch. Uh, Cougars do go into the Pac-12 tourney, uh, tournament having won two of their last three games. Uh, they they battled UCLA a little bit. Uh, they ended up the score that was like I think like what a 19-point loss or something like that. Yeah,
0: honestly, I think they're a little bit underrated. Um, they had they're much better than they were last year. I think Ernie Kent was probably in consideration for Conference Coach of the Year. Um, Obviously, Sean Miller, you know, he he was going to win. I think he could probably win National Coach of the Year as well. Arizona was expected to be a little more down this year. They got some big-time contributions from their freshmen, which was huge for them. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think Washington State, honestly, quietly had a pretty good team. Uh, Like some of their young pieces as well, I feel like they're going to be pretty good in a few years if they just keep building.
1: Even with a loss... In the first round, they're still NIT bound,
0: right? No. No. Definitely not. If they lose, for sure. For sure. Not. Okay, wow. Yeah, if they lose, for sure, they're not getting in. I, mean, I think You say that pretty definitively. Was, yeah, I, I can guarantee you if they lose, they're not getting in. Um, the, the thing people don't realize about the NIT is that they're bound to take conference regular season champions. So any conference one seed that loses in their tournament and doesn't go to the NCAA tournament, they have to play in the NIT. They, they get an automatic bid into the NIT. There have already been six teams that have lost their conference tournaments. Uh, So we're already down to 26 bids. If that number gets into the mid-teens, the Buffs are going to be in big trouble for sure. Uh, Even with a win against Washington State, um, they're kind of right on the cusp right now of getting in. Uh, We'll see how conference tournament play, but at this point, no, I I would be, it's less than 50-50 that they're getting in in my eyes.
1: Everyone can agree, even Tad Boyle, that the
0: CVI experiment a few years yeah, back was a bad gonna, idea. not going to do that. NIT is a different deal, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, you get to play in Madison Square Garden if you go to the Final Four. The NIT, people think the NIT doesn't matter. The NIT absolutely matters. Teams and it especially
1: that, matters if you get those young guys more playing time. Oh, yeah, of
0: course. And I mean, you're playing good teams. People don't realize, man, there are a lot of good basketball teams that don't make the NCAA tournament every year. You're going to be playing a lot of teams with top 100 RPIs in the NIT, teams that just missed the dance, um, younger teams who have gotten better throughout the year. Uh, there's a lot of really quality teams in the NCAA, or in the NIT tournament. And for the most part, those teams that you see in the final four in the NIT generally make the tournament in the next year or two. Uh, it's usually a good way to build up your program.
1: The question is, will Bryce Peters be on the court if they play in the NIT? Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, it's, that's probably been the most disappointing thing here late during the season because he was just kind of finding himself at the Pac-12 level and, Of course, had another issue off the court. Uh, It's we talked about guys. You know, there are keys for this program going forward, and he's just got to find some way to keep his head on straight
0: because he's got all the talent in the world. Yeah, I mean, he has a chance to be an extremely special player for us based on how he was playing down the stretch before he got suspended. Um, he does seem engaged. I mean, he, he's at all the games. Seems like he's still in with the team. Doesn't seem frustrated. So I think he, he knows what's going on. You know, I think, I think he has Ted, Ted's respect and vice versa. He's a good um, person. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think Tad thinks he's a bad person either. You know, he just, if you break the rules, Ted, you know, he doesn't mess around with that stuff. You know, you know the deal. Um, people are saying he's probably going to transfer out. I would be surprised by that based on what I've seen from him. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it would suck, for sure, if that happened. You look at the roster, and really
1: the only guy, and I don't want this to come off mean or any level, because I like the young man, but the one guy you maybe go, okay, probably needs a transfer is Thomas Akilzele, but I don't think there's
0: any other guy on the team that you really want to kick out the door at this point. Well, I mean, that uh, Euro, whose name is Alexander Stradin. Yeah, they're putting him on scholarship next year. I mean, he's below Thomason level of talent in my eyes. I haven't seen um, enough of the guy, to be honest. Yeah, I mean... I feel bad for Tommy because I love him, too, and I feel like he does a lot of things that the program could use. But if you can't make any shots, it's hard to play you at the end of the day. I mean, I I, I honestly think if he could just get it up to, like, 20%, he becomes useful uh, because he does other things well. He gets other guys involved. He pushes the tempo, um, creates energy, uh, and plays a little bit of defense as well. But, I mean, if you just can't make shots no one has to guard you and that's t- you know it's tough to play you in that scenario so i don't feel think there's a lot he has to do to be useful but if you can't get that small thing done then yeah i mean he's all the guys who played on the team this year and talent wise i think he's yeah probably the most likely to be moving on
1: all right well tyler you gotta get going uh, you gotta get some work done before you head out to vegas and i gotta jump back into my spring ball coverage i hope uh, you guys feel like this was a good rundown of things and we will be back in a couple more weeks. We'll kinda of recap the, the spring. If they had open practices I'd feel like we should do another one, but it's like I think
0: every other week, given the situation right yeah, now, is mean, good enough. We'll just keep prodding our way. I'm gonna let McIntyre I'm going he's gonna let me into one of these spring practices sooner or later, one way or the other. I'm gonna figure it out. We get brainstorming. Gotta, like maybe pool money and get like a drone to fly over. <laughs> Dude, I'll just let him hang on to my phone. For all of practice. Say McIntyre, I think he's can, got more important things to have, do than <laughs> you can have access to my Twitter account and delete all the things you don't like. Just let me watch practice so I know what I'm talking about. That's really all I want to do. Maybe I'm just coming off as a whiner, but it really is. I love watching oh, football. I'm sure I'm coming off as a whiner, but I mean, you would, I don't know, dude. It just to me, it's like we, we relay information to your fan base that people starve for. And now it's just like you're just frustrating everyone. It, it seems like it could be handled better. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we've talked
1: enough on that subject. Uh, again, check back in a couple of weeks. We will uh, break down the spring game, and uh, you know, there's seven more spring practices. So I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. Thanks for tuning in.